2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. My name is Daniel, my co-host is Robert, and we are doing episode 72 on Super Troopers. And the new Super Troopers 2 is coming out this week, and so we thought it was an appropriate time to talk about the road pirate movie that might have changed in our perspective over the past couple of years, because I remember watching this movie way back in the day and really enjoying it, and then watching it again last night, not as much. How you doing, Robert? Oh, I'm pretty good right now. How you doing, buddy? Hey, don't call me radio or Unit 91. <laughs> it does have some good, you know... Some good quotable lines in it, but overall, yeah, my spoiler alert, my, my review is not going to be super positive for this thing. Yeah, I think that's fair enough, and I'm going to be referencing uh, a couple of other things as we go through our discussion, but primarily it is an uh, episode of the Peace and Liberty podcast by Stephen Clyde, and he had on Mike Tilden, who's a former police officer, and he has a podcast called The Battle for Liberty. And so those two got to talking and uh, went over, like, his Mike Tilden like being an officer and then what he did as an officer and then why he decided to leave that uh, quote-unquote profession. So that's episode 26 of the Peace and Liberty podcast. It's really good and I highly recommend it. They are both members of the Libertarian Union, as are we, and you can find all of the shows and other related information on that at libertarianunion.com. But I will be posting a link to the Peace and Liberty podcast down below on the show notes page for this episode at actualanarchy.com slash 72. Yeah, you know it. Those are great podcasts. Everybody should check them out if they don't already. Indeed, yes. We highly recommend them. My stroke has continued from the last episode. Um, <laughs> uh, all of the members of the Libertarian Union are excellent, and I feel a little bit weird because uh, they all put out like serious stuff, and we talk about movies. So I feel like we're punching above our weight by hanging out with these guys. Hey, as a, you know, they could they can raise us up. It's good. We just got to get associated with these people. It's fantastic. They can just carry us along on their mighty shoulders. I'm all for it. All right. So uh, everyone do check that out. And we are going to get into the normie friendly mode of our show, which we call The Last Nighters. So for uh, sharing around to your normie friends, there will be a version of this on Super Troopers. And you can find that at lastnighters.com slash 15. So without further ado, right about meow, we'll get into the Last Nighters version of the show. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert of The Last Nighters. We are The Last Nighters and we're talking about Super Troopers tonight on the 15th episode of Last Nighters. And you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 15. How you doing, Robert? We're about to get into the Google description on Super Troopers here. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hopefully you watched this movie uh, slightly altered. If you didn't, you're doing it wrong. But um, hey, whatever. Live your life, man. Let's do this. All right, let's do this indeed. So Super Troopers came out 2001, and there's a new Super Troopers 2 coming out this week, and so that's why we're doing this. It seemed relevant. Uh, it's a uh, comedy-slash-mystery-slash-crime caper movie put out by Broken Lizard, and it got uh, 7.1 on the IMDb, 35% Rotten Tomatoes, and 4.4 out of 5 on Facebook. That's a new uh, rating system we haven't seen before. And 87% of Google users like it. So this is one where the critics hated it and the fan base loved it. This this definitely became a cult classic. 
Uh, and here is the description. Always looking for action. Five over-enthusiastic but under-stimulated Vermont state troopers raise hell on the highway, keeping motorists anxiously looking in their rearview mirrors. Between an ongoing feud with the local cops over who whose you-know-what is bigger and the state government wanting to shut them down, the super troopers find themselves precariously and hilariously heading toward calamity as they try to avoid extinction. Uh, release date January 19, 2001. Directors J. Chandareska Har. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but he is, uh, uh, what do they call him, Ramrod <laughs> in this? Yeah, he's like the main, main character. Yeah, main yeah. character, Ramathorn. Uh, budget of $3 million, box office of $23.1 million, so um, did very well in relation to the amount of money that went into making this thing, and it, um, I think, has lived on very strongly in the aftermarket uh, with that cult classic status. Uh, what, what's your take on the uh, Google info there? Yeah, it's all pretty accurate. Um, I would just have to say that I think it earns its 34% Rotten Tomato score. Uh, yeah, the, the the fan scores. I'm I'm sure there's there's a fair amount of nostalgia wrapped into those scores, or just people who you know don't care going in to see like a really good movie. They're just there to have a good time. So you know, it, it's a movie that yeah can can work for you if you don't expect it to do too much. But for me, watching it again after. So these years, I probably expected it to do more than it did. Yeah, I would agree. It's a movie that um, I do have fonder memories of because it was at a time in my life when I could watch just portions of a movie for the humor that's in that like five or ten minute scene or that moment. And I didn't care so much about the overall story that was going on. Uh, so this yeah. is one of those that it can just be on and, and you can catch it at any point where it's like playing on some random cable network, right? And you could still like enjoy watching it for 20 minutes and then go back to doing something else. Uh, but in watching it last night or a couple of nights ago now, um, it, it really does have some dark shit in it. <laughs> I mean, they play on fear that they put into the populace and they use that to fuck with people and they totally abuse the authority. And uh, watching it now, as I've moved further along in my you know journey into advocating for actual human freedom, you know, voluntarism, things like that. It's really hard to see this uh, laughed about. You know, they're making jokes about it. And 10, 15 years ago when, when I saw this, I was like, oh, that's funny. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, I imagine you had a similar difference of, of your viewpoint. Oh, yeah. I, I was impossible to see the humor. I still thought that some of the scenes worked in like kind of a sketch format. I think this is a movie that works best as, I mean, they're, they're a sketch comedy group, right? So they had an idea that maybe they wrote some sketches that really worked well, that were pretty funny, maybe like the, especially the intro, the very first scene. Um, it was actually pretty dang funny. So, but then when they try and expand it into a movie, a lot like a lot of the other Saturday Night Live movies, it started off as a single sketch, and then they try to turn it into a movie. The story just didn't work for me. Um, but we, we're definitely going to get into that and why it didn't work for me. But like you said, also the fact that I am a voluntarist advocates for freedom, um, watching these road pirates terrorize and assault these people and rob them and think it was funny and think that they are noble and doing a great job and that they are a necessary thing and how wonderful they are was just disgusting. I, I couldn't get into the humor because I was just too revolted by these characters thinking that they were, you know, like I said, necessary and good and that they were protecting anybody, especially when the story is about them robbing people who are trying to service a need. The movie is about people, the movie is about them robbing drug dealers. And if you know anything about freedom, you know that people have a right to put into their bodies whatever they wish. They own themselves, they own their own bodies, and they will use their own discretion about how much harm that does to them or how much harm it does to another, like, say, through neglect. I mean, I'm not saying that the, a parent can get high on heroin and it's totally fine. I'm not saying that's fantastic. But if you've got some kid who is taking some weed, and, of course, they, they're, they soft-pedal that. I mean, they're okay with some kids smoking some weed. But then anybody who's trying to sell that weed, they're going to get and arrest and steal their products. And they justify it. Well, they would have done it anyway, but... As the plot of the story, the movie goes, the uh, the super troopers are in dire straits, and they're about to get cut, and they should be, of course. But according to the movie, they need to, you know, establish that they are necessary because, you know, you got to rob the taxpayers. I mean, what else are you going to do? You're a road pirate. You got to you got a pirate. So they've got to show how necessary they are by 
putting a show to the, you know, the mayor and the governor that, hey, look at all these drugs that we're stealing from people. What a good job we're doing. You need us. It was gross, man. Yeah, and, and a point that got out to me was when they were talking about them getting shut down as a, as a possibility, their response was, well, who's going to bust heads on the highway? Local cops? Yeah, you know, that's so, super necessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, they're, they're literally just using their authority to threaten and, and fuck with people and talking down to them. You know, they do the meow gag, and sure, it's funny in watching it uh, with the Jim Gaffigan, you know, and they try to say meow to him ten times. And yeah. then uh, I think another person, or maybe the, it is the meow one, does he, ca- does he call him boy? Could have. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. He's like, stop mouthing off to me, boy. You know, that kind of a thing. It's like totally shitty to people. But uh, I don't want to take this totally into dark space because it is a comedy and there there is actual, you know, truly funny bits. Like you said, the opening scene is pretty good. Uh, and there was a moment in the very open where the guys are talking, the the high school kids, college kids, whatever, are talking to each other. They're talking about, like, a beach, and nobody owns the water. It's God's water. But if you could own the water and something happened, then uh, some girl could sue you because it was your property. Did that stick out to you at all? Did you even notice that? Oh, yeah. It was the very first dialogue in the movie. The very first scene is these kids talking about property rights. So I instantly glommed onto that. And um, I thought it was interesting that they were even, even discussing it because I don't think kids today, man, do I sound old when I say that phrase, uh, would even discuss that sort of a thing. But it is fun for them to, for them to just you know, debate it. But then right after that, they get into this debate about essentially property rights and homesteading and how you can own things or not or if it's a good idea to own things or how do you own things. Then um, you know, the cops drive by. Or they're they're slowly drive by and they all, they freak out because they are in possession they're holding right and the guy in the front seat asks the guy in the back seat to eat his pot you know to get rid of it eat it so the guy does and then they get pulled over and the cops mess with them scare them you know threaten them with murder they don't but the scene is actually kind of funny because it's all timed into you know as if the cops could hear them so that was actually pretty cute but then when it turns out that the cops are you know, fine, they're not going to bust them or whatever. Then the guy in the front seat's like, okay, you owe me for that pot now. And I was like, that is not how that works. If you ask somebody to do a thing with your property, like eat it, and the only reason he eats it is because you asked him to, he does not then owe you for that money, for the for that pot. Right, that and, he was, you, and he was doing you a solid, you know, he was like trying to help you out there because you didn't want to get caught by the authorities having something that is a no-no that you're not supposed to have. So if anything, he was providing a service to him, but he's like, hey, man, that was like $130 worth of drugs. I'm going to need that 130 bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was providing a service to that guy to help it so him not having to do like jail time or whatever. And then he asked, yeah, it, it, that was just, it was, it was a strong scene, um, ridiculous by multiple characters in the scene. But I think the movie falls steeply downhill after the, after the opening scene. Well, let, let's take the opening scene a little bit further because the, it, it does get actually really good when um, the Miata speeds by and yells something obscene at them. And Thorny says, mother of God, and they chase him. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was pretty cute. Yeah, I, I count the entire opening scene up to the point at which we is revealed that um, you know the 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 guy in the Miata is just another one of the super troopers, and that up to that point, it then then it's no good. Sorry, sorry. Well, that Daniel. ends with the <laughs> that ends with the you, you boys like Mexico. <laughs> you know, I mean that's that's good stuff right there. He pretends like he's in a shootout with the cops, and then he gets into the car, steals the cop car, and drives those kids around, tries to scare them. Yeah, and, you know, as the movie is just a series of sketches, if it were just a series of those kind of sketches, this would be, a, I think, a perfectly fine movie. It'd be more like a, I don't know, like a like a Tom Green movie or a, what was that movie where they just kind of hit each other in the balls? Those are just a series of sketches, right? Jackass? Oh, Jackass, Jackass yeah. I thought you were referencing Ow My Balls from Idiocracy. <laughs> <laughs> close, close. Uh, but yeah, if it was like that, if it was just that opening scene and you know, very different variations of that sort of thing, I thought it would have been a, you know, perfectly fine, even though I would have objected to you know, the road piracy. But um, yeah, when it, tur- it turned into a movie, eh, it falls down. And I'm, I'm guessing that the Super Troopers 2 is going to be similar. Yeah, I think they're going to recycle a lot, a lot of the old jokes, you know, all the quotable lines that people will remember, you know, and, and little nods and things like that. Um, but, you know, even yeah, in this... Um, well, oh, go ahead. These guys... Have these guys done any movies in, in between since then? I mean, this movie's pretty old. Yeah, they've done a few. Years ago or something? They have done. Yeah, they did Club Dread, uh, Beer Fest, and 
I want to say one other one. Okay. I have heard of those movies. You know, for for a 15 or 16-year, 17-year hiatus, it's it's not like super productive um, movie-wise. So I'm not sure what else these guys have been up to. But, I mean, they're they're clearly, they've got some chops. You know, they're pretty funny guys. But even within the humor, even within that first scene that we we just talked about and enjoyed, they're still using their, uh, quote-unquote, authority and an implicit threat of murder to evoke fear in order to fuck with the people. You know, they even say to the kids, like, do you smell something rabbit? Fear. You know, and they know yeah. it. They know that the people that they're they're stopping are doing it because if they don't, then it's going to escalate and get really, really bad really quickly. And he does the whole littering and, littering and, littering and, smoking the reefer. Yeah, and that's how, you know, if they had made this movie about anything else, you know, I probably would have been more far more on board with it. But you have these characters who are acting just despicably, threatening and you know, intimidating people. And then they get, they have the gall to kind of paint them as like the underdogs against the city cops. And there's like the heroes against the city cops. And I was just disgusted by everybody's fear. In fact, these city cops were the ones that were actually protecting the drug smugglers. So I was like, well, good for you city cops. You're, you're put, you're running protection for these guys who need protection from the pigs. Good job. I mean, there are, they're not, everybody's like, not super clear-cut good guys and bad guys, but to try and make us get behind, you know, like I've said a million times on this podcast, you need to establish an emotional connection with the audience if you want to get behind and care about these characters. And when you have the characters acting so badly, behaving so badly, and thinking themselves as being so good, then you're just lost to me. I, I don't care about you. I don't care what you do or what you say. Nothing you're going to do. You know, anything you try and time, anytime you try and be funny, it's going to be, you know, the jokes are just not going to land like they should. So I think these guys are talented. I think they could have done a better movie. They probably have done better movies, although this is, I think, their most notable work um, for, you know, Joe, average six-pack guy. But for me, it's just, no, you're not going to ingratiate yourself to me with a bunch of authoritarian assholes acting authoritarian and thinking they're funny. Right, and the joke was that they're bored and lazy, and so they're trying to make funny, you know, make fun of it or have fun with it. You know, that's kind of the whole thing like they're screw off types who are authoritarian road pirates and so that's what's supposed to be funny about them right but they're still doing the implicit threats of murder so uh you know it it, it does make it fall flat for me and i I feel a little bit bad for audience who wanted to hear like something uh funny in a quote fest about a a cult classic movie like this um and we're just giving them a uh shit trash talk (laughs) about about the premise here but there is a dead girl in a Winnebago with the Johnny Chimpo tattoo. Now, that is a crime. So in that respect, they're actually doing something that would happen in a, uh, you know, in a free society, right? Like, try to look into that. Did they, did they even solve it? That, 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 that whole plot point was just an excuse for them to find the drugs and then to discover that the drugs were being smuggled through the area. With the Johnny Chimpo stickers, the Afghanistan animation. Right, but then the the murder was forgotten, wasn't it? I don't remember it ever being even discussed, let alone solved. They did mention it at the end, towards the end, that uh, Galifianakis, or Galifianakis, I think that was the truck driver's name, that they uh, said that he had killed her and that they were apparently aware of that, or that was their suspicion. But it didn't really tie that up. No, not at all. It was just... saying that the the city cops knew? Is that what they're... The implying was that since they were working with them that they knew yes i think that's what the implication is okay that they knew that she uh, had been murdered by the drug dealers and they were letting it slide and then they were helping the drug dealers smuggle the drugs from canada i think yeah okay well so yeah you're right there if there is a crime like that there would be some sort of response to it surely of course there are there there would be people who care about that woman and there will also be people who would care about murders happening in their area that would not want to see that thing happen. So certainly in a free society, I know I would contribute to any kind of an investigation. And with a market mechanism in place, there would be people, the best would rise to the top for the cheapest price. And there would probably be, you know, levels of service like there are today, but far better. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and just historically speaking, um, there actually have been cases of vigilante justice uh, being the... Uh, uh, the predominant method in a geographic area. Like, think of the uh, Wild West. During the gold rush, San Francisco sprang up from about 100 population in 1844 uh, to over 20,000 by 1849 as a result of the of the gold rush. And there wasn't enough time to get the governmental apparatus and bureaucratic infrastructure in place. So there were um, market 
involuntary uh, responses to crime and, and solving for crime. And then finally, when the government stepped in and, and put marshals and sheriffs and everyone in place, uh, they were also abusing that power like we see in super troopers here. And one of the... Um, one of the marshals actually killed an innocent man, and he was tried in the government's court and, and acquitted. But then, because there was already this established presence of the Vigilance Committee that was the free market solution, they then tried this marshal and found him guilty and hung him. So like we say, the market solution is almost always better. And there's so a reason I'll, why. I mean, I'll post in, a link in, to in that. Isolated incidents, in isolated incidents, I mean, the government is still made up of human beings. And there can be mistakes made on both sides. We're not saying this situation would be perfect. But overall, um, allow people to choose which they prefer, and you'll see quality improve in service. Indeed, yeah. And I'll, I'll post the story of that uh, down below in the show notes page because it is kind of an interesting thing to look into because you always hear about how the Wild West was like so violent and evil, um, but it was actually not the case. And it was you know, clearly when the government got involved and that uh, they were able to there was a thing in place to be corrupted and to protect bad actors within that corruption, which we see in this movie here. Yeah. All right. So shifting gears. Oh, and there's ahead. an incentive for the, the law enforcement to, you know, have a high crime rate to not actually solve crimes or to incentivize crime. Not to say that there isn't an, also an incentive for them to solve crimes because there is on an individual level and through a general sort of anger, I guess you could say through the population, kind of some kind of a social pressure. But there isn't any real mechanism other than, say, what, every four, couple of years, what, you vote in and out of sheriff, I guess. But other than that, there really isn't a whole lot of incentive for uh, uh, government um, law enforcement to have a, have a low crime rate because these are people that want job security. Yeah, the war is meant to be perpetual. Yeah. I mean, if you were, had a, if you were running a government you know, police department, yeah, you'd want to show that you're doing something. But you wouldn't want to be able to show, look, you don't even need us. <laughs> yeah, in the movie, they were talking about their quotas for tickets, and the uh, captain was like, yeah, how many did you do, Rabbit? And he said, I don't know if it was Rabbit, it was the other guy, but uh, he didn't know, and he goes, three, you did three all month. <laughs> so they were they were underperforming that quota, but but you're right, if, if, if they solve the problem that they're there to allegedly solve, then they wouldn't be justified in, in being there any longer. Yeah, and... Nobody likes it when their job gets, you know, made obsolete or whatever. So they don't really have a whole lot of incentive. Un whereas in a market situation, you'd have competing forces, and <clears throat> and there would be more of an incentive to solve a crime or do the job that you're actually tasked with because you actually you're actually have to answer to your customers. You actually have customers that can withdraw their support if you're not performing. Whereas with a government monopoly, they get paid regardless whether they catch a million murders or they catch zero murderers, they get paid the same. In fact, right, they probably get paid more if they don't catch any because then they'll say, look, we've got so many murders. We need more people. We need more money. We need more funding. We need more better police cruisers and trinkets and toys and better surveillance methods and blah, blah, blah. We need bigger budgets. So it's a method of failing forward, which is what government does spectacularly. Yeah, that's a bureaucratic method. Do a shit job and complain that you're understaffed and underfunded. Yep. And we would never really know if they really were understaffed or underfunded because there's no market mechanism to compare it to. But you can assume that they're not. <laughs> All right. And I think uh, um, a person that we've both listened to in the past has coined the term crime historians, and that's what police actually are. Uh, there's a stat that uh, another friend of mine looked into uh, related to that bumper sticker slogan of when, the, when you need the police and seconds count, uh, the police are minutes away. And it means that, you know, you're kind of responsible for your own self-defense. Uh, he said that um, the research showed that only 3% of crimes were responded to in time via 911 for the police to even get in, involved. In 97% of cases, it, it already happened, already over and done with. Yeah, I mean, what do they do? They show up, you know, they, they cordon off the area, they take a bunch of pictures, they guess as to what happened, they take some evidence, but did they actually save anybody? And, you know, they're not even incentivized to save anybody. I mean, just the other day, there was a kid who got trapped in a minivan and suffocated to death after, what, two 911 calls? And they couldn't find him. Um, and, you know, in, in a market situation, that might be enough for somebody to withdraw their support. But in today's day and age, with the government, you can't. You can't look at that ineptness and go, sorry, I'm going to go 
try something else. I'm going to go pay for somebody else who might do a better job. You have to. You are forced at the point of a gun to pay for these people. And I'm not even saying that a market situation maybe would have saved that kid. Maybe would have found him. Maybe it would have. Maybe it wouldn't have. But you can't withdraw your support to somebody who is basically like the Keystone Cops. You just can't because they are forcing you to. And that's really what I object to. All right. Well, moving on. Moving on. I want to change change gears a little bit because Thorny is a certain ethnicity, and I don't even know what it is. But they, they make note of it several times. He makes quips about having, um, they, they say, oh, you've got that black magic. He says brown magic. And then he says something about um, uh, the city cops out, try to order like tacos and quesadillas from him because they think he's Mexican. <laughs> and Rabbit's like, oh, you're right. not? Uh, but there's been there's a few uh, mentions of this, and I'm just wondering if that could still be done today. I mean, I guess we'll find out on Thursday when Super Trooper 2 comes out, if they can do this kind of stuff still, like talking about race and issues like that so flippantly. Yeah, yeah, very flippantly. I don't know. Uh, we're, we live in such a PC world. I mean, hopefully they're – I mean, I know Canada, I don't know how plugged into leftist Canada thought they are. But Canada is very much a very PC social justice kind of a place. They've elected some sort of a social justice man-child to lead them, and uh, they're front and center with all the crazies coming out of the uh, universities these days. That's all the flack uh, Jordan Peterson is getting. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Um, I, nothing really struck me as too much like some of the you know movies from the 80s do <laughs> that are just like, whoa, you could not get away with that these days. Um, but it was still this is definitely from an earlier era. We'll see if they will even go there with these new movies, this new movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he could get away with calling them white devils again, his uh, fellow officers. Oh, yeah, nobody cares officers. about that. <laughs> <laughs> nobody yeah. cares about white people. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about the assault at the restaurant, the the restaurant where he uh, orders a burger and <laughs> the kid says, uh, one cheeseburger, it's for a cop. <laughs> yeah, I actually like that. That was a good scene. That was another good sketch scene. Um, what's the what's the the big fat cop's name? Farva. I don't remember. Harva. Farva. Far Farva. That's right. So yeah, um, there's been a couple of restaurants in our area that have made the news for not serving cops. And there's I think there was one in like New Jersey, and you know you always get a whole bunch of um, flag waving you know people that are super indignant about anybody who would dare not serve somebody who, you know, might have a fundamental disagreement on the ethics of their profession. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, in this movie, they have a different method of dealing with cops, which is equally also good and also funny, like you already said. Uh, so they, you know, you, if you are a, an asshole, a professional asshole who makes a living off of stealing and threatening people, Maybe you're not going to get, you know, the greatest service or treatment from other people who might resent you because, like I said before, it matters how you treat people. And people will resist in any way they feel they can. You know, they can safely do so while still being able to go home at night. And this movie features some kids who don't like this far of a guy. They probably don't like any of these cops, rightfully so. And so, yeah, they, uh, they spit in the food probably. And, um, yeah, I think, I think you pay a social cost. You pay a social cost for being a dick. It's called the dick tax. And these cops are paying it, and they they take their own health into their own hands when they go and eat at a public place. Uh, you know, you might get hepatitis. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying. Yeah, and I did like I think, the. I think, uh... I think this is why this is why it's bad. You know, when you shame, when you publicly shame these restaurants into saying, "Oh no, we'll, okay, we'll serve you." You know, because it's like it's like the overt racism versus covert racism. You want it to be overt. You want to know if you're a cop, you want to know going into a restaurant whether they like you or not. Oh, they don't serve me here. OK, then thank you for telling me that I will go somewhere else where they're not going to spit in my food. Whereas if you publicly shame them, like which constantly happens in social media whenever anything like this happens, then cops are going to go in there and they're going to get their food spat in or whatever. Worse. I don't know if you've seen the movie Waiting. It gets worse. <laughs> They can do worse things. In fact, that's been in the news where people have gotten all kinds of terrible things. Semen-covered pizza or whatever it was or spaghetti. I don't know. <laughs> you know oh, man, that's gross. The, the Alfredo sauce. You know how it is. Hey, how was the pale ale? <laughs> yeah, another one. So I think they're, it's a strategy. It's a bad strategy move for a cop to uh, publicly shame someplace that won't serve them or doesn't like them. 
um, which they do. They, they, if you, I think there was like a Dunkin' Donuts lady who said we don't serve cops, and I'm not even sure if that's even true what happened. But then, you know, of course, the employee gets fired because you can't do that. You can't tell one of these god creatures that you don't serve them. And then, you know, like I said, I'm, not, I'm just repeating myself at this point, so let's move on <laughs> unless you have something to add, Daniel. Well, I did like the, uh, the kid continuing to make fun of him about his ordering of a liter of cola, and he's like, uh, do we have a liter of cola? What's liter of cola? And he asks him if he wants to supersize for only a 25 cents more, and, he, and Farva says, do you want me to punch a size your face? Yeah, so what do you think about how the, uh, the kids got back at him? Uh, well, Farva beat him up. So, no, 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 before that, before that, they, they, they did something to his cola. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the, uh, the little scratch ticket thing, or peel yeah. up, you know, see if you won. Yeah, and they have yeah. the, the hole in there, the, the little glory hole in there, so <laughs> the soda would drink out or leak out on him. Right, so it spills all over him. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty yeah. dick. That's pretty rude. But yeah, it was. He also then, of course, was a, Farva, Farva went way too far in retaliation. Oh, yeah, yeah, he assaulted him. And then when the yeah. captain, <laughs> captain was berating him, he's like, back in my day, we'd beat you with a hose. But now you got your goddamn unions. <laughs> yeah. And Farmer's like, you know I'm not a union guy. <laughs> uh, funny stuff. Uh, so the next thing I have on here is, well, another kind of funny quote, and that is when they, they pull over the truck driver and they both get into the back of the trailer, tractor trailer, uh-huh. and he locks them in there. <laughs> and then Thorny shows up, you know, a few hours later and says, it smells like sex in here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some good, funny moments. Uh, if you can get past, which is why it probably helps to be, you know, intoxicated in some way. Um, and do you have more? If you've got more notes, that's fine. I, I've got one one note that is actually, we could actually talk about probably. Uh, yeah, let's do your note, and then let's talk about the shooting range, because that uh, was a prime example of what not to do on a shooting range, or with a firearm ever. Okay, uh, well, my, my note's at the very end of the movie. So let's do your shooting thing first. All right, so... The the guy who um, was driving the Miata and did the You Boys Like Mexico, he gets buck naked and wears like a armor-plated cup and has people shoot him in the cup uh, for fun. And Thorny is like, he's a crack shot, and so he hits it every time without even like aiming. Um, yeah. But uh, when the captain showed up, he's like, you know, we used to this, do this prank back in my day. Um, and he shoots the gun and it shatters the window. He's like, but we use blanks. So it was meant to be like a hazing ritual way back when he was younger, and they would use blanks just to, like, scare the rookies. Um, but here's, you know, these guys, and they, they literally are, like, crazy people doing dangerous, stupid stunts. So yeah, don't ever do one, that. Either one is horrific. Um, the hazing is probably worse because at least the, the this one is, he knows what's happening. This is all voluntary. It's stupid, and it's borderline suicidal, but at least... He knows what's happening. He's voluntarily doing it, right? Yeah, open bar, dude. Yeah, it's fine. I was kind of rooting for him to shoot him. I mean, right. you know, you do something that stupid. It is it is really stupid. And then uh, let's get into your note. Okay, so at the very end of the movie, you've got a bunch of drunk main characters, and they're at like a like a small airport or something like that, right? Is that right? Yes. Okay, so they're at some little airport, some rinky-dink little thing. And they're hiding in the bushes and they're debating about what to do. And all the, the cops, I think they're all, they're not cops anymore, right? They're all whatever. And, but then Farva shows up and all the main characters are like, we're going to go arrest these drug dealers. And Farva goes, with what? Your super citizen power? And that line stuck out to me because, yeah, just because you're a cop, you don't have any rights, any special rights that other people don't have. It doesn't grant you some sort of godhood status. You're not, you can't do things that would be immoral for another person to do. So, yeah, if you see there's some horrific crime being committed, and I don't think there is one, they are trafficking some, you know, they're taking some goods, taking them from one location and putting them into another location, (laughs) and they're servicing a customer need base, but whatever. But, yeah, just because you put on a badge and and, uh, wear some blue costume doesn't grant you special arresting right or God powers. So, yeah, Farber's just showing his stupidity again for the – 500th time in the movie but yeah that, that line stuck out to me did you did you notice that line oh certainly i did yeah it was sh- shortly after the uh denim dan canadian tuxedo line that farva said to the captain the, the canadian tuxedo line was funny i grant him that that was good stuff <laughs> uh but yeah and i didn't understand like okay so they take farva's blow-up doll and put it on the top of the car and drive the car towards towards the uh, the cops and the drug smugglers and they shoot at the car and then they get into a fist fight and then it's like over 
<laughs> yeah, uh, this this the movie ends in a way in which they go, okay, these guys just ran out of ideas. <laughs> this is like a sketch movie where the sketch just kind of devolves, and you would normally just move on to a new sketch. But they're like, oh crap, we have to come up with an ending. Yeah, we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, wrap big, wrap big it up, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, real, real dumb. Didn't make any sense. Of course, don't think about it. Just, just glad the movie's over. But then, you know, then the movie ends with another terrible scene as they're busting some underage drinkers at a house. The same guys that they terrorized early in the beginning of the movie with the pot. And it's just like, you guys think you're the good guys? What? I don't know. It just bugged me. Yeah. So this was after the their fist fight to bring down the drug smugglers, and then they got a letter from the governor who said, hey, congratulations, you really showed uh, fine police work in the war on drugs, you know, yada, yada, you're so amazing, but we're still going to shut you down. And uh, one of them was like, oh, we're going to buy you a tank, is what he was hoping he would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but they still got shut down. So then they, they go undercover later, you know, months later or whatever, as St. Anki keg delivery. And the guys uh, that they had pulled over earlier are having a party at their house. And when they realize that they're that they had lost their super trooper job, their trooper job, then the guys are kind of dicks to them or dicks back to them, right? Because the cops were originally dicks to them months and months before. Right. So we're supposed to sympathize for the cops at that point? They're there to bust a high school party, a high school kegger party. Are you kidding me? What? This is what they're using their tax dollars for? To bust high school kegger parties? Disgusting. But go ahead. Yeah. And, and actually in the credits, they're, they're listed as college student one, college student two, college student three. So if that's the case, then they're technically of legal age to be adults. So really... Right, probably under some arbitrary drinking age. Yeah. So probably yeah. Like 18, 19. 18, 19, or 20. Uh, and that, of course, allows the law to uh, get involved. But yeah, then they you know, strip off their delivery uniforms and reveal that they are now the Spurberry Police Department because the other ones apparently got all uh, arrested and lost their jobs as a result of running protection for the drug smugglers. Right. So that's the end of the movie. Um <laughs> What a little sideways, a little different than I thought it was going to go. Because uh, I really did think we were going to do another quote fest like we did for Lebowski and for Billy Madison. Uh, but this is still good. And I, I still enjoyed the movie. Let's just go ahead and do a final summary and review here. Um, and I'll start. Uh, I, I still enjoyed the, the scenes, like you were saying earlier, like the sketch comedy kind of bits, though it's peppered in between with um, the gross abuse of power. And I guess that's what sets the stage for them to be able to be funny because the uh, recipients of their pranks are pulled over in fear of what power these people hold over them, right? And that's what allows this to even happen. Um, so it's, it's a weird situation to be in to look back on it now and still kind of see some humor in it, but then also see the pure evil that it is. So I'm very conflicted on this. Um, I think in my younger years, I would have given this like a seven or an eight, but I'm I'm down to like a two on this just because of it's sticking in my craw, you know? So yeah. how about for you? Yeah, so my problem with this movie, in fact, even worse, it's, it's, this movie gets even worse than like all those police procedures. And anytime you get a movie where the cop is the hero, it, it, it seeks, it, it just, all it does is it normalizes cops as as good people as as and you know of course everybody likes to be the the hero in their own story and thinks they're doing good and just wants to provide for their families and blah 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 but i'm sorry how you do it matters who if you aggress against people and you threaten you intimidate and steal from them in order to earn a living you're not a hero you're not a good person so this movie and then it may try to make it you know try to make it funny so not only is it normalizing this horrific behavior it's telling you that haha it's funny and you should laugh about it and there's nothing really to take seriously here this is just a thing that people do and they're good and they're heroes and haha isn't it great and funny and there's no way they could ever do better than this so yeah this movie maybe back when i watched it pre-liberty days was probably more like a six or a seven um and enjoying it like i said for the, the little bits but yeah this is like a two and a half maybe a three because, you know, you can enjoy it. You can watch it maybe altered and just enjoy it for some of the bits. But as a critic, i got to take it for the, the whole thing. And from my perspective, it's this is a big steaming turd. All right, so two steaming turds from, uh, from the last nighters here. And so we're going to uh, wind this one down and uh, appreciate you joining us for this one. Uh, not sure if we can recommend checking out Super Troopers 2, but perhaps uh, perhaps it'll have some funny nods like we had mentioned earlier. So that's coming out on 420. Ha, 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 inside joke. Uh, but I'll say uh, goodnight from last night.
and continuing the transmission on Actual Anarchy for a little bit longer. Uh, that was some dark shit we got into on that one, but deservedly you know, so. <laughs> deservedly so, yeah, yeah. Hail to thee. Um, so, what do you think, man? Uh, should we go car I, I, car ramrod on this? And I mean, I know these movies. You know, cops are super popular in um, you know media representation. They're they're everywhere. There's you know a thousand NYPD blues and NCIS and you know procedurals that all they do is solve crimes and that sort of thing. And so much of that crap is just propaganda. I mean, yes, there are real people that really do solve crimes, but the way they tell it and the way they dramatize it and the way they make the heroes to be these, you know, these cops that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and the only bad thing about cops is the corruption part. Well, excuse me, but the bad cops aren't just the corrupt ones. They're all bad. And the quicker you get out of that profession, the better. Join a private security force. Join a, you know, a security team that is, or be a private investigator. Do something in the market that doesn't revolve around stealing from people and being this violent, corrupt monopoly. It's, um, man, and then you got Hollywood just like towing the line, normalizing this horrific behavior. It's really tough, man. It's, tough. it's a tough time to be a, a voluntarist trying to, you know, watch media and all these these people that aren't necessarily trying, you know, it's not like some, it doesn't have to be some nefarious conspiracy theory, but, you know, these procedurals, millions of people watch them because they're, they're popular. They're, they, they, they tell a story in 60 minutes, you know, they got a bad guy and a good guy and they, they wrap up the story and, you know, there's some kind of closure at the end and everybody can feel good about, you know, that the bad guy got caught and blah, blah, blah. But what it's doing to the psyche where you identify these thugs as heroes, it's really, really gross, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll concur with that. I, I tend to agree with you quite a bit. I will quibble with you on, on one thing, and this is mostly because I've listened to the Battle for Liberty discuss this a little bit, and, and I believe this to be the case, in that, sure, there are bad cops, and there are bad people who become cops because they're bad people, and they know that they can get away with it and abuse that power, right, that ring of power that's presented to them to be available. But I also think that there are a group of people who are good intended and want to be helping and think that this is a way to do it. And then only once they're kind of caught up in it that they realize that it's not how it's been presented in media and how they've been told it it should be and, you know, what it actually ends up being. And I know that there's been a couple of um, former officers that are running in some of the circles that we run in and who've confronted that. You know, they were good people caught up in the situation and then they opted to leave. Uh, But they knew other people who didn't weren't able to make that leap, but who were also like well-intentioned, even though they're sworn to uphold all laws, just or unjust. And most are unjust, of course. Uh, And that's that's a Higgs point that there are no good cops because they've all sworn to uphold all these unjust laws. Uh, But I think that there's a little bit of nuance room that uh, Mike Tilden talks about in the Battle for Battle for Liberty. And that episode I mentioned of the Peace and Liberty podcast, he gets into that with uh, Stephen Clyde. So that's episode 26 of that. And again, I'll have that down in the show notes page. It's a very interesting thing to listen to. I have a lot of sympathy for those kind of people, just like I have sympathy for the troops who are well-intentioned going into it, who think that they're doing a great thing. And I could talk about how, you know, this the system of coercion and theft and murder corrupts people because it is corrupting. But I really, it's the people who apologize, who get in there into these places and then defend it and apologize for it and say, well, yeah, but there are good cops. There are good cops who continue to murder and threaten people and, you know, steal from people to earn their livelihood. Okay. So they would be doing even better in a private system. That's great. They should want a private system. You know, they would do really well in a private system. So leave. Get out of there. Yeah. Well, if they're listening to us, you know, they, they maybe have an advantage in that they'll confront some, some arguments that might pr- prompt them to, to look into it further and, and make that decision. But you know that we're in this staunch minority, you know, there's probably 99% of the population doesn't even know what volunteerism is. And so they'll probably never run across this kind of a thing. Like, it's just, that's the way the world is, right? So they're just going along. They went into it with good intentions and see the corruption and see how bad it is, but they maybe don't know what else they can do. Um, so I have a little bit of sympathy for them. Um, but then well, I've, I've uh, heard, there's another thing. I've like heard this the, argument made. I've heard this argument, sorry to interrupt you, but I've heard this argument made with people, you know, of our persuasion who are public school teachers or who run for office that, yes, they know the system is terrible, but don't you want me in there to, you know, educate? And I would be more on board with that. I don't think that theft is justified. Well, look at all the educating I'm doing. I mean, are you, am I glad, am I, 
are you, is it better that you're in there than some other, you know, mindless status person? Sure. But don't, don't, you know, that's a strategic question. That's not an issue of morality. Do I want everybody to be espousing liberty, you know, logic? Yes, I do. But I don't necessarily, you know, I think you have to be at peace with yourself at the end of the day. That is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to steal from people to, you know, get a paycheck in order and then, you know, to educate people here and there where you actually do? I mean, cops make this argument. Teachers make this argument. Soldiers make this argument. Um, there are a bunch of people in our circles that, yeah, work, work for government who are anarchists or libertarians or voluntarists. Um, and I, I, I am glad you're there and saying this stuff, but I think at the end of the day you have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth it? Is it okay? Yeah. Do I, am I okay with stealing from people in order to maybe educate one or two people? I don't know. I well, some, some will argue that, that they're trying to, to bleed the state even more. Uh, and others, like I think Ron Paul, he never even accepted the salary that came along with his position. That, that's a terrible argument. Bleeding the state, that never works. All you're doing is justifying the state. All you're saying is, look, the state needs more of a budget, so we need to steal from people more in order to support this guy too. Right, because they'll just print more money. I mean, there will come a day when, when they can't, but that day <laughs> seems to be imminent for forever, apparently. Yeah, I mean, how, how much more difficult would it be for them to justify this, these giant bloated budgets if they had zero payroll? If everybody quit the government. Right, yeah. It's like no. if they had a war and no one came. <laughs> if they had government jobs and no one came. If they yeah. had a vote, an election, and no one voted. Oh, man, it'd be beautiful. It sure would be, buddy. All right. Well, I did want to throw out the, the Ron Paul thing because I think he didn't accept any money uh, in his position. So he was the opposite direction of the you know, leading the state. Um, and right. I, and Ron Paul, all he did was talk principle. And he was very much Dr. No, and he kept talking about the principles of liberty. And he's like, I'm going to use this platform to talk about liberty. And am I glad he was there? Of course I am. You and me both, so, buddy. You know, I mean, but I think if you're if you're just going to your government job and, you know, you're not talking to anybody about liberty. You're just keeping your head down, and you're just like, well, I'm just going to do my job and support the state, but I'm secretly an anarchist. Then what are you doing? Yeah, I remember I we've had this conversation in the past when um, you had looked at doing a, a job for a – was it a school, like in their IT area? Yep. And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm sure you want to be supporting them and, <laughs> you know, making them more efficient or, or just giving them your approval in, in that respect. And you ended up not doing it, right, if I recall? If I recall as well. I also did not do that, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're neither here nor there at this point. Uh, this is our Super Troopers episode, everyone. Um, check us out on uh, the YouTube. Uh, give us some uh, love on the YouTube for Last Nighters, if you could. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes page for our actual Anarchy version of the show. Uh, we're trying to get up to 100 subscribers on there so we can get the custom URL. And we've also been having difficulty uploading videos for some reason. Um, so we had a campaign of, you know, basically begging people to to uh, sign up as a subscriber. So now we're up to 65. And I thought, you know, if we got over a certain threshold that we would be able to resume uploading, but it's still not working. Um, but I was able to load our last two episodes as live feeds. Um, I, I've got a way to do that from a recording. So it, it ended up working, but it's still not working totally properly. But anyway, if you could uh, mosey your way over there and hit that sub subscribe button, uh, we would really appreciate it. So I'll post that down below. And uh, the show notes for this is actualanarchy.com slash 72. So any final comments from Robert, and then we'll say goodnight. Well, I just, I don't want to make anybody feel too badly if, if they're in a situation in their life, like where they joined into the government and they've got a family to support, and then they learned about liberty and became an anarchist or something like that, and they're in this messed up situation where they, you know, are caught between support, supporting their family and then, you know, living true to principle. Um, you know, in that situation, I would, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough call. And I would be tempted to absolutely support your family. And I, I think that would be the decision I would probably make. But I would be also exploring every avenue I could to get out of there and uh, join the private sector. So I don't want to make anybody feel too bad that they're just a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't want to berate our audience at all. I think you're all great people. Um, I just, I just hate the state, man. I just I hate the state, and I want everybody to just walk away and stop supporting it. That's really what I want, because the state is just an engine of pure evil. It's an engine of coercion and theft and violence and normalizing violence. And we were, we just attacked Syria today. And I don't, and by we, I mean, you know, the U.S. Uh, war machine. And they've already bragged about killing, like, 545 people civilians 
uh, for a gas attack that was probably not even perpetrated by Assad. I mean, it makes no sense for Assad to have gases on people. Yeah, that's what uh, I don't understand is, okay, if he did it and killed 44 or whatever number of people, um, how does throwing a bunch of missiles at that country and killing 10 times that amount solve anything? Well, yeah, and, and then why, I mean, just from a strategic standpoint, why would he go ahead and do that when the United States was talking about leaving Syria? So I'm going to go ahead and give them the reason to stay and fight and kill me? That just makes no sense at all from a tactical standpoint. So, I mean, if you're talking about Kibono, who benefits? It's, it's definitely not Bashar al-Assad. So it can't be him that did it. I mean, I know that there's some early talk about the British having done it. But I wouldn't be surprised that the United States did it. I, it, I don't believe any of these lying liars who lie professionally. And the way that the media stands in lockstep behind these violent thugs who are just going to murder people and possibly start a world war. It's just disgusting on so many different levels. So anyway, on that positive note, thanks for listening, everybody. I do love you all. I thank you for listening. If you could help spread the message and spread the word about the show, that'd be fantastic. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. And we're not sure what it's going to be. It might be some kind of an Earth Day thing, Um, maybe uh, the day after tomorrow or something. Who knows? Or maybe it'll be some sort of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio shit fest. (laughs) We don't know. Did we already talk about that movie? Maybe we already did. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that was was a while back. We're supposed to be mentioning the movie we're going to do next, but we haven't decided yet, folks. So um, I guess look at the... uh the Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash actualanarchy. I'll post a, a thing about what movie we're going to do next. I'll make an event. How about that? We'll put an event in there. and It'll have the movie that we decide on and look for that, you know, probably uh, by Monday and it'll be in there. Yeah. So then if you get a chance to watch it before you listen to the episode, then we'll be on the same page. It'll be great. So thanks again, everybody. Have a good night. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do